Well, good morning. We want to welcome all of our campuses today. Campus in Robinson and Wilkinsburg and Washington, our online campus, and of course, here in South Hills as we kick off a brand new series, a four-week series that we do at the end of the summer called General Admission. And what we do with this series is we take a movie that has been uh, released uh, this past year, and we compare and contrast Scripture, the truth of Scripture that never changes, with the culture that is always changing. And we're excited to be able to do this as we base this on Acts chapter 17, where Paul went into Athens. And while he was in Athens, he looked around, he observed the city, he saw all the the tremendous uh, temples, the Parthenon to the Greek goddess, all the other temples of Nike and all these things. And then he saw one temple to an unknown God. And then he shared the story of truth that said, what you consider as an unknown God, let me tell you who he is. And so we take uh, the culture that we live in today, worshiping many unknown gods, and look at the truth of Scripture. So, heard the story about a couple from Minneapolis who decided to go to Florida to take a little break from the cold Minnesota winter. They chose a place in Florida where they had honeymooned 30 years earlier. Because of the husband's business travel, he went down earlier. He arrived on a Thursday. His wife was going to arrive the very next day. When he got to the hotel in Florida, he checked in. He didn't do uh, much with his phone, but he decided to email his wife on his phone to let her know that he had arrived safely. So he emailed his wife with his phone, rarely did that put her address in the browser. Unfortunately, he got a couple letters mixed up, hit send, and uh, the email went. She never received the email. Meanwhile, somewhere in Houston, Texas, a widow was returning from the graveside service of her husband. She um, was checking her emails with the condolences that people were sending her. After she read this one, she passed out. Here's what it said. Loving wife, I know you're surprised to receive an email from me, but wanted you to know that I've arrived and checked in. I spoke with the receptionist and found that everything has been prepared for your arrival tomorrow. Looking forward to seeing you then. I hope your journey is as uneventful as mine was. By the way, it sure is hot down here. (laughs) So our prayer for this series is... The right message gets sent to the right person, and we know only God can do that. So let's pray and ask for his help. Father, we thank you for this time. And we are praying, Lord, that you drill down your truth into each heart here. You know who we are, and you know where we are. You know what we're struggling with. You know what we're putting our hope in. 
You know the things that are causing us to stumble. You know the things that are keeping us at a distance from you. So, Father, take your message and deliver it home to each heart. Today we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, a few years ago, my daughter texted me, our oldest daughter texted me about a book that she and her husband had heard on audio tape while they were taking a trip. And she said, you've got to check out this book. The book was Unbroken. And I get a lot of uh, recommendations for books, but since my daughter was so enthused about it, I bought the book. And uh, I remember it was a vacation a couple years ago and started reading the book and I could hardly put it down. We passed the book around our family. And then last Thanksgiving, we were all together in Oklahoma and we went, we never had done this before on Thanksgiving Day, but we went and watched this movie together, Unbroken. The story is about a man named Louis Zamborini. It's a story of rebellion. It's a story of achievement and, and success. It's a story of unbelievable, unbelievable pain. And it's a story of redemption. There is a part of us in each, each of us in the story. See, the Bible says that all of us are rebellious. We are, reborn, we are born rebellious. Romans chapter 3, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There's no one who seeks God. All of us have turned away. We have together, together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. So on our own, we're not seeking God. We're not looking for him. We are not born seekers. We are born rebellious. We are sinners, the Bible says, and fall short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23. And Louis Zamborini, as a kid, had that rebellious heart. There was no direction in his life. There was no purpose in his life. He was always on the run from authority. See if you can relate. you're not in reform school now is because the respect we have for your parents. Everybody in town wants you put away. Sorry, Louise, he was fighting again.
We're born with rebellious hearts. And maybe your rebellion has you on the run. Maybe in some scuffles in your life. Maybe in some scuffles with God. I would bet that each one of us here can relate in some way to that last part of the clip. I bet you remember someone in your life praying for you. A mom or dad, brother or a sister, aunt or an uncle, a significant person in your life. And, and wherever you are in your life, and whatever you're doing in your life, when you talk to them, when you're, when you're looking for significance and when you're looking for meaning, when you're running from God, they remind you, hey, I just want you to know I love you and I'm praying for you. And if you don't have that person in your life, we'd love to introduce you to one who loves you more than you could ever know. One who came to this earth to die on a cross for your sins. One who believes in you and desires that you believe in him. One day, Louis was in trouble again. He was on the run. And while he was running, he ran across a track. His brother ran track. And his brother saw something special in him. He believed in Louis when Louis didn't even believe in himself. Since when were you so smart? Come on, faster. Why? No one's chasing me. I'm chasing you. I can't do this, Pete. I'm not like you. I'm nothing. Just let me be nothing. What are you talking about? I can't make a track team. I didn't even know why you Yes, you me can. To... If you can take it, you can make it. What? If you can take it, you can make it. All right, you train, you fight way harder than those other guys, and you win. You get out from under them. Or you keep going the way you're going, and you end up as a bum in the streets. You can do this, Lou. Just got to believe you can. I don't believe. I do. Andiamo. Forza! Va bene.
that guy fly? They're calling him the Torrance Tornado. The Torrance Tornado finally found something he was good at, and he was good. As a 19-year-old, he made the Olympic team in the 1936 Olympics in Germany. He ran the 5,000-meter race, and he was one of the youngest members on the team. No American was favored to win that race, but the trip across the ocean to Germany didn't help out any. It was hard to work out on the ship, and there, were a, there was a lot of food on the ship. Here's, how, here's what Zamberini said. I was a Depression-era kid who had never even been to the drugstore for a sandwich, and all the food on the boat was free. I had not just one sweet roll, but about seven every morning with bacon and eggs. My eyes were like saucers. And by the end of the trip, Zamberini had gained 12 pounds, which didn't help in his running event. He finished eighth, but his last lap was so impressive, 56 seconds, it was a record for the last lap, that Hitler wanted to shake hands with this young man who had finished so strongly. And there was great excitement for Zamberini. The future was tremendous for him. This young man was going to be an Olympic star. After the 1936 Olympics, he enrolled in the University of Southern California. In 1938, he set an NCAA record for the mile that stood for 15 years. There was great excitement for the 1940 Olympics. He was going to go. He was favored to do extremely well, but the 1940 Olympics never took place. The outbreak of World War II canceled the Olympics and changed Zamberini's plans and changed his life. Uh, maybe you've had some great hopes, some great dreams, some promises, and maybe your chan plans have been changed a bit. They were going well. You were excited about the future. You had, you had everything you needed right in front of you, but then something happened. Life happened, Right? <laughs> A relationship ended. You didn't expect that. Job went away. A sickness took over. A significant person in your life died. A dream died. Life has a, a way of changing our plans, and it certainly did for Zamberini. In 1941, he enlisted in the United States Army Air Corps. He was deployed to an island in the Pacific, and he served on a bombardier of a B-24 bomber. On May 27, 1943, Zamberini and 10 crew members were sent on a search and rescue mission. Normally, they went on bombing missions, but this time they were sent on a search and rescue mission in a plane called the Green Hornet. The plane over the ocean began to experience mechanical difficulties and crashed into the ocean. Eight of the 11 crew members were killed. Zamberini and two others survived the crash. They secured some rafts from the boat. They, they drifted in the open sea. They secured rainwater to drink. They ate a few raw fish. They weathered storms, and they had a few surprises along the way. 
think God made the stars, Phil? Yes, I do. So you think there's some kind of a grand plan? Why'd we live and the others didn't? Why are we here now? Here's the plan. You go on living the best you can. You try to have some fun along the way. And then one day it's over. You wake up. sitting at the edge of your bed. Angel says, okay, you can ask me all those dumb questions now. Because I got all the answers. That's what you believe. Yeah, that's what I believe. Maybe some of you can relate to being adrift. All the promises, all the hopes, all the dreams, and you kind of find yourself just at the, the whim of the wind and the waves in the middle of storms. Surprises keep coming up. Maybe you can relate to these in that raft. What did you think about the explanation of God's plan. You just kind of do the best you can, right? And uh, you have some fun along the way. And then at the end of the day, angels will show up and answer all your questions. Man, we're going to see that God has so much more for you than that. After 33 days on the raft, the, the guy who fought off the shark, Francis McNamara, died. Then on day 47, Zamborini and Russell Phillips reached land, or they saw land rather, in the Marshall Islands. That was the good news. But the bad news was they were captured immediately by the Japanese Navy. In Zamborini's life, right at the time you think it can't get any worse, it gets worse. In captivity, he was badly beaten. He was never a big man, but he lost 100 pounds. He was 160 pounds. He was down to about 60 pounds. He was mistreated. He was tormented in prison by a guard who, for some reason, just wanted to break Zambini. The guard's nickname was called the Bird. He was included on General Douglas MacArthur's list of 40 most wanted war criminals in Japan. After Zamborini's plane went down, he was declared missing at sea. And then a year later, he was declared killed in action. So his family thought he was dead. Because he was a, an Olympic a runner, the Japanese wanted to use him for propaganda purposes. And so they took him from the stench and, and, and the lack of food at the camp. And they took him to downtown Tokyo. He always said, I wanted to get to Tokyo for the Olympics. I didn't think I'd get here like this. They cleaned him up, 
They put him in a beautiful hotel. They gave him all the food that he wanted. And they allowed him to write his own letter and read it over Radio Tokyo so that his mom and dad would know that he was alive. Then they tried to use him for propaganda purposes. He refused and was sent back to the camp for unbelievable punishment. This, this clip shows the Japanese trying to use him for propaganda purposes. His commitment never to compromise and then what awaited him at the prison camp. Hello, America. This is the postman calls. Today, the postman calls for Mrs. Louise Samparini of Torrance, California. Louis Samparini is not missing and not dead as erroneously announced by your government. He is safe and sound with us. So keep listening, Mrs. Samparini, and don't mention it. The pleasure is all ours. Hello, mother and father, sisters and friends. This is your Louis talking and the first time in two years that you will have heard my voice. I am uninjured and in good health. I am now interned in a Tokyo prisoner of war camp, being treated as well as can be expected under wartime conditions. I hope Pete is still able to pay you his weekly visits from San Diego. Dad, keep my guns in good condition so we can go hunting when I get home. Get some good rabbits for Mom's nailky sauce. I wish you all a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Your loving son, Louis. You were good, very good. You can speak on radio again. I can't say this. Why not? Because it's not true. What it says about America, I can't say that.
you are like me. We are both strong. I saw it in your eyes the first day. I thought this man will be my friend. But enemy of Japan. You do not listen. You do not do what is asked of you. It is necessary to have respect. No respect, no order. This man must be taught respect. All other prisoners will teach him this lesson. Each prisoner will punch this man in his face. Sir. We cannot do that. And so each prisoner did, as the guard had said, until Zamborini was unconscious. His refusal to compromise, his willingness to go back to that camp, and his willingness to take on that painful penalty for that sick prisoner is an example of what Jesus did for us. Jesus never compromised. He left heaven itself fully God, fully man. He came to this earth and lived a perfect life and went to the cross for us. Sin makes us sick. And we were beaten down. But Jesus paid the penalty for us. He took on death so we could live. He did for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. Isaiah 53 says, Surely he took our pain and bore our suffering, yet we were considered him 
punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us have turned to our own way, but the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Jesus refused to compromise. He bore our sins in his body on the cross, and by the death that he took for us, we can be healed of our sin. Zamborini demonstrated tremendous strength. There was a time when that prison guard, the bird, was transferred to another prison camp. And for a little time, he had relief. But then at the end of the war, he was transferred, Zamborini was transferred to that same camp where the bird was, and the abuse continued. Lift. Lift it. Over your head. If he drops it, shoot him.
Don't look at me. Don't look at me. Miruna. Miruna. Miruna! It's hard to even comprehend what Zamborini went through. But he had this, this internal strength that was almost superhuman. Some of you know what that strength's about. You, you pride yourselves in who you are and what you've done and what you've accomplished, how hard you've worked and how hard you work today. And that's the first thing you share, the hours you put in, the achievements you've made, the success you've gained. But inside, you can't keep control of the things that matter most. You can't keep your family together. You can't master your soul. You can't master your heart. Zamborini's most intense battle started after the war. That's basically where the movie ends. The planes, the Allied planes come. The prison camp is delivered. The guards flee. And there's this sense of, of great joy and, and accomplishment at the end of the war. Great, great time. And Zamborini came back to a hero's welcome. He married Cynthia Applewhite. They had a daughter. But the nightmares wouldn't stop. Now we would know it as post-traumatic stress syndrome. But then there was really nothing to do to help out these soldiers who came back. And so he started drinking to dull the pain. And he kept drinking. And there was always someone willing to buy the war hero another drink. One night he woke up choking his wife, thinking he was choking the bird, that prison guard. He went for counseling, but didn't help. He continued... To, to try to drink his problems away, the only thing he knew to do. And finally, his wife said, enough of this. She filed for divorce. In 1949, when she filed, someone invited her to a Billy Graham crusade. And that night at the Billy Graham crusade, <clears throat> she heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. And she trusted in Christ alone as the only way she could have a relationship with the living God. And she went home, and she told Louie what had happened, and she said, I'm not going to file for divorce. We're going to stay together. She encouraged him and urged him to go to the crusade. And uh, he didn't want to go at first, but he decided to go with her, and he told her, as soon as that guy says, every head bowed and every eye closed, I am out of there. And that's what he did the first night. But she persuaded him to go another night, and this time, when he got up to walk out, he ended up going down front, and he trusted in Jesus Christ as his personal Lord and Savior. Here's how Zamborini tells that story eight years later about what happened at the Billy Graham crusade. During the war, Louis Zamborini was an American war hero. He was 47 days on a life raft floating around in the Pacific. 
And he began to drink when he came home, and he was confused and frustrated and mixed up in his life. And he, too, wandered into that tent on Washington and Hill in Los Angeles and found Christ as his Savior. And tonight, he is the director of the Victory Boys Camp for Juvenile Delinquents in Los Angeles, giving his full life now to try to rehabilitate juvenile delinquents and lead them to a knowledge of Jesus Christ. Lewis, we're delighted to have you with us tonight. Thank you, Billy. It was after the war and with about $10,000 in back pay from two and a half years in prison camp and also uh, collecting my life insurance for being dead, I became uh, extremely uh, selfish, cynical, and greedy until the uh, wind was finally let out of my sails. I lost everything that I possessed outside of my wife and little girl. And it was then that my wife was able to persuade me into going down to that meeting at Washington and Hill Street in Los Angeles where I heard the gospel from Billy Graham's lips. And there as I sat in the meeting, I heard Billy Graham when he stated that God the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, could forgive me for my sins, and then if I put my trust in him, I could have eternal life. And so I went forward in that meeting, asked God to forgive me for not having kept many promises I made on the raft. I acknowledged to God that I was a sinner. I asked the Lord Jesus Christ to come into my heart and save me, and of course he did. Since then, I have had an unquenchable joy of working with these uh, wayward boys, and uh, also preaching to them the same gospel that I heard nine years ago. Thank you very much. After he trusted in Christ, Zambrini knew his life had been transformed. And he wanted to share that message with those who had tormented him in prison. And so he went back to Japan. And he went into some of the camps where the guards were being held as prisoner. And he spoke to the guards and he shared with them the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he let them know that he forgave them. He offered to meet with the bird. I think he tried a couple times to do that. But that Japanese guard who had inflicted so much pain on him refused to meet. Zambrini served the Lord the rest of his life. And he died just last year, July 2nd, 2014, at the age of 97. Did you hear what he said? The gospel is that simple. I trusted in Jesus Christ alone. I realized I was a sinner. And I trusted in Christ. You know, the whole purpose of this series is to share that message. Have you trusted in Jesus Christ alone as the only way you can have a relationship with the living God? Have you come to the point in your life where you would say, I'm a sinner. I don't care how, how, how great I think I am. I don't care about my achievements. I don't care what my resume looks like. I am a sinner to the core. That's what the Bible says. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And maybe along the way, you've made some promises to God. Like Zamborini, Zamborini wrote that 
in the raft and every day at the prison camp, he prayed, Lord, if you get me out of this, I will, I will search for you and I will serve you. But he forgot his promises. And maybe some of you have forgotten some of the promises you made to God. You were going through a tough time. Boy, we cry out to God during those times, don't we? And then when it's over, well, it's kind of back to normal. The Bible says that not only are we sinners, but the penalty of our sin is death. Not just physical death. We're all going to die. But the Bible talks about a separation from God, a spiritual separation from God, a God void in our heart, and then an eternal separation from God. But God doesn't want that to be the case. So he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to do for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. Jesus came and he died on the cross for our sins. Fully God, fully man. Being fully God, his sacrifice was perfect. Being fully man, his sacrifice was our substitute. And he died on the cross for our sins. Being a Christian is simply this. It's coming to the point in your life where you realize I'm a sinner. I cannot save myself. I've tried all this religious stuff. That doesn't do it. So I believe that Jesus Christ, fully God, fully man, came to this earth 2,000 years ago, and he died on a cross for me. And when I trust in Christ, what I'm, what I'm saying is very simple. I believe that Jesus died for me, and I am trusting in him as my substitute. I'm allowing his death to be mine on the cross. I'm allowing his resurrection to be mine from the dead. I'm allowing the life he now lives to be mine because I want to live for him. Trusting in Christ is simply saying, I can't save myself, but Jesus came to die for me and I'm trusting in his death alone. Have you done that? I'm not talking about going to church. I'm not talking about doing communion. I'm not talking about a CCD class. I'm not talking about a confirmation class. I'm not talking about being a member of the Bible chapel. Have you come to that point in your life when you've trusted in Jesus Christ alone and you know that for sure? You know that with certainty that if you died right now, you would spend eternity in heaven. You can know that. Kirk is going to come and lead us in a last song. And what I want to do is lead you in a prayer. If God is speaking to your heart today, I want you to use this prayer as your guide. I don't want you to think that reciting a prayer saves you. But if you will use this prayer as your guide and God is working in your heart and you sincerely desire to trust in Jesus, use this prayer to let him know what's going on in your heart. The Bible says that when we ask him to save us, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. The Bible says that we can't save ourselves, but when we trust in him by grace alone as this free gift, we can have eternal life. The gift is offered to you right now, and we're asking that you accept it. So follow along and use this prayer as a guide if you'd like to pray. Father, I, uh, I admit that I am a sinner. I have this rebellious heart. 
I admit that pride has kept me from you. I am proud of my accomplishments. I'm proud of my successes. I'm proud of my resume. I want to be my own God. I want to do my own thing, my timing and my way. I, I, I see my rebellion. I realize I cannot save myself. I realize that everything I try to do falls short of you. And I realize that there's this place inside of me. I don't even know what to call it, but it's this God void. It's this emptiness that no success has filled no relationship has filled. No great recreational hobby that I thought would be the end all and be all to the satisfaction in my life has filled. And here I am, empty before you. Today I trust in Jesus Christ. I believe that Jesus came, that he died for me, and that his death allows me a relationship with you, the living God. I I trust in Jesus as my substitute. I should have been hanging on the cross. I should have died. The wages of my sin is death. I acknowledge that. But Jesus died for me, and so I place my trust in him as the one who paid the penalty for my sin. I trust in Jesus Christ alone. Right now, I trust in Jesus Christ alone as the way to have an eternal relationship with you, the living God. I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.